0: Unbelievable. Cool. Ice water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street. than Death Valley, South
1: Bright, Deep in the heart of Texas The prairie sky Is wide and high Deep in the heart of Texas The sage in bloom Is like perfume Deep in the heart of Texas Reminds me of The one I love Deep in the heart Texas. Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 12th. Ben and Cody here with you today to follow up on his and Sam's instant reaction pod to the Texas A&M game, one that was an absolute thriller on Saturday night at Kyle Field in College Station, one that I think has left a lot of Clemson fans scratching their heads and a lot of A&M fans with a lot more hope for the outcome of their upcoming season under first-year coach Jimbo Fisher. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. We want to first uh, send out our thoughts to everybody on the East Coast and the Southeast that are dealing with uh, the ramifications of Florence. There, We hope you stay safe. We have family and friends there. And again, everybody, uh, you guys stay safe. Make the smart decision. If you're told to evacuate, get out of there. Um, Hurricanes are nothing to mess around with. uh, So be safe, y'all. Cody, great game. I was there, as you know. Um, how have your thoughts matured since Sunday during your instant reaction? Now it's been a couple of days. You've gotten to read some things that have come out, and you know the dust has settled a little bit off that uh, thrilling victory.
0: That's a really good question, and I think I was not as doom and gloom as much of Clemson, I think the, the collective fan base, However, I, I maybe I've actually reverted back a little bit because I think Quacking Tiger had a one-liner in his most recent article. He said, "Where he said we're not a championship team," and you could take that both like two ways. I guess that's that's a we should be a championship team, but we should have like we should be looking the like the mole because we return so many starters on both sides of the ball. Flip side of that is. There's some things that are going to make this season worth watching. There's going to be some growing pains to developing offensive line and secondary that's going to make, I guess, what we go through in these these mop-up duty games uh, worth watching. Hey, but before we do that, we're going to get into any of the narratives. What was it like at Texas A&M? Because you were there at the game, and I'm, like, I'm really interested to hear. We haven't talked much before this episode was recorded, so like to know how things went.
1: Uh, Yeah, man. It was an absolutely fantastic time. Um, On some good advice from some friends, we actually did not stay in College Station. Uh, uh, Graham and I flew into Austin on Thursday and took a party bus organized by the Austin Clemson Club, took that down to the game on Saturday and back, uh, and then hung out again that night in Austin and on Sunday. But um, it was a hell of a time. Texas a and fans could not have been more hospitable. I was really impressed. You know, heard a lot of good things about them. And you know what? It really makes me put things into a perspective. You know, growing up and really the only way games I will ever went to was South Carolina games. And I always just had this expectation because of that, that opposing fan bases, when you go to their school, that they're just really vicious and nasty and vulgar. And Clemson is different. Right, We're just not like that to, to other teams. But now as I'm traveling around more, I went to Louisville last year, I uh, went to Texas a this year. I'm finding out that, that the experience in Columbia is more of an exception. Um, and not to focus that as a dig on the South Carolina game box fans, but again, to just say how impressed I was last year with Louisville and this year with the, the Texas a and fans. Um, the stadium environment was absolutely thrilling. I didn't realize the stadium was that big. It seats like one hundred five thousand. It was probably it was close to capacity, probably ninety five to one hundred thousand people. Uh, really loud. Um, that being said, I've heard a lot of people talk about the crowd noise and how that's the loudest environment they've ever been in. But I was at the Miami game back in whatever it was, two thousand six or two thousand five in Death Valley when we got the decibels up north of 130, 135, <clears throat> and they had on the scoreboard uh, at, at Kyle Field what their decibel level was, and it was like at 110. It was loud, but it's not Clemson loud, and part of that is because, you know, Death Valley is just so steep. You're right on top of the field, whereas in Kyle Field, it's a huge stadium, but you're not quite as on top of it, but that being said, that the fans were fantastic. They stuck in it throughout the, the game, and I I just remember uh, texting my uncle and saying, I'm very glad, you know, it was some point in the third, fourth quarter when Texas A&M was starting to make that comeback. I was very fortunate that Texas A&M fans were such hospitable and nice people because we were in an A&M section. Um, but they were more than gracious when that happened. And uh, nothing but good things to say about them and to and likewise them to us at the end of the game. So what was the tailgating experience like? Um, so that, what game was a... Six o'clock local time start, I believe. So that was seven o'clock East coast would have been four o'clock out here on the West coast. Right. Um, so yeah, we got into town probably about one o'clock on the bus and, you know, walk around people, you know, saying hey to us, inviting us to the uh, tailgates, offering us beer, um, and, yeah, everybody was just super pleasant. It's more of a – it's a very flat, spread-out tailgating scene. There were a lot of parking lots and stuff like that close to the stadium. I think the, as far as the campus was concerned itself, I didn't get to see a lot of it. Um, but it wasn't too much that was appealing to me. Um, but, again, I'm comparing that to, to, to Clemson and what it is. But the game day experience and the fan experience was was absolutely phenomenal. And, um, I, you know, Clemson fans, you should welcome – Texas A&M fans next year, and I know you'll show them the same hospitality because they did it for us.
0: Was the rain, like, watching it on TV, you couldn't tell if it was just a a downpour or if it was more mild, and I I wondered how much that impacted, like, the players and and the passing game and the way the game was called and that sort of thing. So it was interesting. I I listened to to your guys'
1: recap episode, and and Sam mentioned it reminded him a lot of the Notre Dame game, and yes, by the flow of the game, but as far as the rain was concerned, it wasn't even... Anywhere close? Um, it it got going a little bit um, there in the first half, but it's I don't, we were undercover where our seats were, so we, we couldn't tell that much. But it wasn't like a torrential downpour. And I think when you see rain on TV, it always looks worse than it is, just because of the depth perception there it just kind of layers the. Well, the rain. lights bring it out. Lights bring it out. It, yeah. So. Um, I I think where it would have had more, where it did have more effect on the game, you saw the footing for the guys, especially a lot of the Clemson guys, and losing their footing several times. Uh, I know Amari Rogers um, had a, a couple falls. I think Isaiah Simmons did as well. Um, so the field seemed to get a little um, a little tore up. You, you know, you saw tufts of grass flying all over the place. So to me, that was really where it probably had its biggest effect. But I think as far as the rain itself. Uh, during uh, the the course of the game. I don't really think it affected things that much. And again, it didn't rain all night. It was really
0: only seemed like in the first half, at least from where I was sitting. Again, I was undercover, though. Yeah, well, I guess you could see the guys falling. You know, the one guy that didn't fall too much was Kellen Mond. That's true. Um, I don't know if that had to do with um, he had some special spikes. Or he's just that good. Um, but it was it was lucky <laughs> night. We called it like some voodoo magic or Kellen something. Kellen
1: Mond was certainly not falling. Um, it, wow, that guy. Uh, he's a spectacular. I can tell you this. There's a couple things. Uh, Texas A&M fans had no clue going into that game how good they were going to be. And honestly, I didn't either. I think everybody's prediction, everybody I talked to, we thought even Texas A&M fans thought we were going to beat them pretty handily. You know, that being said, first-year head coach Jimbo Fisher, you don't know what he's going to be bringing to the table um, with Kevin Sumlin's uh, players who are super talented. Um, they've clearly now got some better coaching. Um, so Texas A&M fans didn't expect that. Even even during the course of the game, I wasn't worried until the fourth quarter. I was like, okay, this has gone on for too long. But even like when they were making plays early on and it was only 14-3 at halftime, I'm like, we got this. Like Texas A&M is not... Uh, it's not a, a team that's so good. We're not going to be able to to keep ahead and, and eventually pull it out in this hostile environment. But man, they they played it right down to the wire, and that was super impressive. And the other thing that stood out to me is we were leaving the game. Had you not been in the game and saw the scoreboard at the end, you would you almost would not have known who won the game because both fan base, you know, fan, Texas A and M was walking out. They were not like super depressed. They were like kind of happy or content that, that they, their team was so close. And Clemson fans were shell-shocked. Um, I was actually, you know, it's taken a little bit for this to, to register or, or for me to kind of digest this a little bit. But at first, I was a little bit disappointed in Clemson fans, almost feeling like we, we were spoiled. Um, it felt like after, na- uh, after uh, Clemson lost the first national championship game to Alabama, back in 2015, Alabama fans were just like, ho-hum, another national championship. And I was like, I never want to feel like that. And I felt like coming
0: out of that game, that's what Clemson fans felt like. Like, that win
1: wasn't good enough for, for, for them or for well, us. Well,
0: in fairness, it was kind of icky, given the way that we got outplayed so badly no, in the I, second half. I, I totally agree. That's why. It, and I, the fumble. And it, I think we went over it a little bit in the Instant Re, Re, Reaction uh, podcast. Things evened out. There was luck going around on both sides, but it still felt a little bit icky. Like we did not deserve to win that game. So maybe that was part of the sentiment. Unless- well, well, don't
1: don't fumble then. I mean, like Dabo said it best. Oh, like- I don't.
0: Oh, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the mindset of the Clemson fans leaving the game. Like well, it did. I- it didn't feel like you should be. Popping your chest out and celebrating after that one. At the same time, it's not doom and gloom, but you've well, right, You got to strike mean, that balance. No,
1: but I, I was tried to start up a cadence count, cadence count, uh, leaving the stadium as you often do, coming down the, the, the whatever the ramps as you're coming down and going outside as we often do when we leave away games or even home games. But uh, it was one of the weakest like participation. It made me feel a lot. Back in 2008, I think it was, when Clemson made the NCAA tournament. I was out in Kansas City, went and watched it there. Uh, Michigan had the lead for a while. In the end of the game, Clemson started pulling close, and I tried to do a cadence count then with a bunch of Clemson fans, and everybody was just kind of sitting there. And maybe it's being shell-shocked. Maybe it's, it's an older crowd who tends to travel i um, not as enthusiastic. Maybe uh, they didn't drink enough before the game to carry them, o- carry them through the game. Yeah, you know, I, I hate to speculate, but again, <laughs> I, I think a lot of it was just kind of shell shock. Less so than a feeling of entitlement, because I, I will tell you this, coming out of the game, Clemson fans did really respect uh, the job that Texas A&M did.
0: So let's talk about the game itself. Uh, you've seen, you saw it live, and then you saw it through the rewatch. Didn't, what- get, didn't get any better. But was it the same though? Like I think like you're watching the game on TV, you still have emotion. You do right. a recap, you can remove the emotion. You're like, "Okay, that wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was," or "Oh, that was a lot worse than I thought it was." But when you can I guess layer in the emotion when you're at the game, it's it's probably different. It was different last year when I went, went to the Florida State game. Like it, the game, watching it a second time was different. Sure.
1: Um, yeah. Well, I mean, part of the emotion of being at the game, especially when you're at a visitor stadium, you know, you guys are watching at the bar in San Francisco, the Clemson bar surrounded by Clemson fans. I'm surrounded by 85, 90,000 Texas A&M fans. So it takes on a different meaning if you lose, because it's a long walk out of that stadium and a long ride back home if that does happen. And you paid all that money to go all the way out there. Um, so I, I think the emotions during the, the two point conversion and everything leading up to that was maybe a little heightened for, for me having been at the game. Um, but it doesn't make it, it does make it much more fun to rewatch it because then you get to hear the commentary on TV, um, throughout the game. And, uh, so yeah, but you know, you can't, it's really hard to beat in environments like that. You can't beat being there in a game of that magnitude and especially with a game like that outcome now like a game like georgia southern this week you want to stay home because it might be a little bit wet and we're supposed to kill them yeah okay better watching at home on tv um but being at that game hands down like you you can't match that environment watching at home on tv or at a bar somewhere
0: all right so i asked sam the one major takeaway Actually, what I asked him was if you were a sports journalist and you had one headline, what would that headline be? Um, but obviously, ex- expand on that, and, and what would the what would the narrative be? Um, not as I, I, not as an in person viewer, but just in about the, just the game in general.
1: Well, I think for me, it would be Clemson leaves with
0: more questions than answers. Um, that's kind of that's more negative than my my thought. Yeah, and well, and Sam's. well,
1: I think what did what did we answer? How did we? especially on offense, how did we look like in, an improved did we look like an improved version of anything we saw on the field last year?
0: I would say no. You, you saw glimpses of things and it was not there it, it was not enough to make you feel good, but you saw glimpses of things that made you feel pretty good. You saw uh, the offensive line struggle fair. That they looked a lot like they looked against Bama. There was a lot of similarities to that to that Bama game actually. But you had certain position groups there's some similarities in the talent level uh, and, and arguably the coaching by the Texas A&M defense because it's a, it's a it was a really good front seven. I could well and Elko's a really good defensive coordinator. He had a every, game. He yeah. dialed up a great game plan against his –
1: And it helps that Jimbo Fisher has played against you know this Clemson coaching staff and a lot of this Clemson team for the past several years. Like he's not a he's not a coach. He, he didn't go to Texas A&M from the West Coast. He came from our own
0: backyard. He had a lot on us. It was pretty clear. Elko knew what he, Elko knows us very well. And I think a lot of people. Sorry, I think a lot of people will try to may try to make the
1: argument like, well, we should know a lot about Jimbo too. Jimbo had completely different personnel than we're used to to seeing him um, um, operate with. So you really have to take your hat off to Jimbo for that. Um, having that team ready to go, and again, Clemson's going to get everybody's best shot. We have to remember that every week in and week out, every team that we're going to play
0: um they they circle us at the beginning of the year well let me add concept context to that because i think those words ring hollow you hear that about like duke basketball you hear up hear that about some of the blue bloods but what that really means is like i heard ben bulware in his interview with larry williams and he talks about the preparation for the game and how he took us like a, a subpar major or whatever so that he he could focus more time on that if you that much, that much goes into it where you can game plan and understand formations and see them kind of know what the team's doing. And, hey, Clemson has a tendency to be a little predictable in offense. That goes a long way, one. Two, you have all offseason to do the prep. And getting a team's best shot, when you know Clemson's coming to town, you're thinking about that game all offseason long. You're, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's hours of film prep that goes into it beyond what what you can do in a one-week preparation. Well, and especially when it's
1: the second game on your schedule and your your first game's against a cupcake, like, you get to prepare a little bit more than you would for, for most other teams. And the guys were hyped, man. They, uh, you know, they came off, Texas A&M came off of a, a really, you know, a large margin of victory the week prior. And so those guys they didn't know what they weren't good at yet. So they had confidence, right? Um, and they played with confidence.
0: I think so. I mean, they, think of them as the ascent, you know, you're like, like what we were in 2012 and 13 and we got a, a, a college game day. We got actually two in a couple of those seasons. That was the biggest game of the year. That, that's what this was for them. Right. And the, thing, the weird thing about this one was, is like, we got college game day and it's
1: like, why? You look at the schedule nothing else is going on in college football. It's a little slap in the face of the Gamecocks probably because they probably felt like they deserved it. But, um, yeah, it didn't, to me, it well, didn't. I think like, CBS already had rights for that one. Um, well, fair enough. I mean you can still be game day and play on CBS. Um, so, yeah, it, it's uh, it's interesting. It didn't feel like a, a college game day environment to me. But, again, I think it's just
0: because everything was everything was like tailgating. Everything was just kind of so spread out there. So you mentioned you didn't you didn't find anything like too redeeming from the offense. Let's talk about the offense. Trevor Lawrence. His you saw QT's write up. He actually again looked probably better on the second watch and better just in general than he looked on the, in the in the in the box score or uh, I guess like if you read some of the the post game narratives, like he struggled. He did this and this wrong. Um, you, you didn't find something redeeming there, or Kelly Bryant in that second half when he finally got some confidence and some fire under him.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, if we want to start with, uh, let's start with Kelly Bryant. You know, you couldn't tell. You didn't really didn't know if the coaches were sending a message when they send Kelly or sorry, Trevor Lawrence out to start the second half, but he goes uh, two series, and you can tell he's being overmatched there. Uh, sending pressure on him, and this is a big game environment—the first one he's ever been in hostile environment on the road—and um, it's just something that you know the offensive line wasn't doing him any favors. He probably felt like a lot like Kelly Bryant at certain points last year, um, and so for Kelly Bryant to turn around to go in that game and immediately on his uh, first possession in the second half go down and score, um, and then to go follow that up and go down and score again—you guys, you mentioned it, like you, his mindset and his mentality. Was completely different than anything that Trevor Lawrence had. Like Kelly Bryant had been in that situation before. Listen, Trevor Lawrence is going to be great, but Kelly Bryant in that moment was absolutely the right call. Um, yeah, I know hindsight is 2020 clearly, but um, absolutely right call. And, and wow, like so impressed with with Kelly Bryant and just how classy he's been uh, throughout all of this. He's again, he's in a very tough position, um, and I, I will say kudos to Clemson fans for not. Um, I was listening to a podcast today, and they, they were saying how Clemson fans are very different than than Alabama fans, and how Alabama's fans treated Jalen Hurts uh, during the college football playoff last year. And they mentioned how Clemson fans were much more um, kind of lenient or accepting of Kelly Bryant and the Trevor Lawrence battle, and not throwing any quick to throw any one guy under the bus. And I really do appreciate that. And I will say another thing that I, that I took away. I saw or when I was watching the replay was they were showing Trevor Lawrence watching Kelly Bryant during one of those drives in the second half. And you can see him mouth out like right before a play, come on to. Um, so these guys are really pulling for each other. And I think that's, you know, I, I'm still not, I still don't know what to think about this two quarterback system because it is hard for any one guy to get in rhythm. And if you pull him out or if he does something bad, does that hurt his psyche? But uh, the, the guys are bought in. And so that tells me that the coaching
0: staff has done it the right way. A couple of things that I, I kind of rethought since Sunday one was I was kind of I had the same mindset as you. I, th- I thought Kelly Bryant did something wrong or like, and I, I went back and I watched the film. I thought maybe it was the fumble. I think the, it was the
1: fumble. and But he had just mm, gone two series. They seem to be staggering them every two series.
0: And maybe, well, maybe don't put him under center when he hasn't done that all year and that's not really his thing. In the rain. You just see if you can get in the end zone the old-fashioned way. But that aside... I, I tend to go back on that. I think the reason Trevor Lawrence started the second half is because based off of what we saw in the first half, that's all we had to go on. Right. There's there's absolutely no doubt who was the better quarterback or who was going to give you the better chance to win. That would have been Trevor Lawrence.
1: I mean, yeah. that being said, though, Kelly Bryant did make some good deep throws in that, in that first half. And, you know, as great of a play it was, Trevor Lawrence coming in there in his first pass going, whatever, 64 yards to T. Higgins, Nobody on this football team last year makes that catch. So you put Trevor Lawrence in the same situation
0: again. It, a lot of it's about the guys. How about in round does United. Kelly Bryant make that throw in this game? Is I guess, the better question there, right?
1: I mean, it's not like he threw T wide open. Like <laughs> there were two guys around, so he had to go up and get the ball. Yeah, uh, no, you're, you're you're right. So I mean, listen, it was a great play. It was a great throw. I'm saying all those things, but. Like Deion Cain doesn't make make that catch. You know, Kelly Bryant didn't have those opportunities last year. And kind of, I think, I think what we're seeing out of this offense is there it's when Trevor Lawrence is in there, they call very specific play calls. When Kelly Bryant's in there, they call very specific play calls and they don't let, I mean, maybe they let Trevor Lawrence run it a little bit too much uh, relying on that. But I think they need to let it open up with Kelly and see what he can do because if, if he can't do it
0: fine, we'll learn that. But what if he can't? I agree. The aggressiveness was there in the second half. It felt like a guy that didn't have anything to lose, and maybe that's the whole reason. Thinking this competition is going to bring out the best in both players. If that's the strategy going forward, then so be it. There has to be more. I said it on Sunday. There has to be more aggression in this offense. There's got to be. There's got to be a habit of being. Auburn, it'd be in Oklahoma State. Like, let's try to put sixty on the board. Like, I, I'm I'm so tired of pl- doing enough not to lose. I'll, I'll I'll leave you with one quote from Bill Connolly of of SB Nation. He said, "Clemson seems okay to leave it to the the judges to to leave their scorecard to the judges to see who will uh, decide the win." And I'm I'm tired of that mindset. We've seen it too much, and I, I think it has a, a negative effect on. Bryant's psyche, and then ultimately, as a, how, how that will lead up to our ceiling down the road. Yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, a, a lot will be said about how
0: Clemson is used to playing
1: in uh, playing in close games, and that's Davo's way. And so, when it comes to crunch time, we're experienced at that. But none of that matters when we get to playing Alabama or some other elite team, like because if we're not up to the level of play to match them, we're not going to be in a close game um you know I you think know, you guys mentioned it last time we got outplayed and still won and that's what championship teams do and yeah you know, once or twice maybe a season but you can't make it a habit of getting outplayed and, and just especially against inferior teams now granted let's give credit where credit is due again texas and a&m play phenomenal it was a great environment it was a very tough game early on the season but uh you know I, we mentioned it. I mentioned it last time about the play call. I need to be more creative. We've kind of seen the same song and dance from uh, from Tony Elliott and, and Jeff Scott over the last couple of years. I think Dabo came out today saying that he has instructed those guys that he wants us to be running the ball more. There's no reason why, especially in a game in the rain, while Travis Etienne shouldn't get more touches on the ball um it just doesn't make sense i don't know if it's a product of just having too many weapons and we're trying to keep too many guys happy or i don't know the play the play calling just seems to be a little little like it's just not dynamic and we do the same few things over and over again um so i don't know i mean a a lot of that has to do again part of it okay sure maybe limitations of kelly bryant Uh, A lot of it probably has to do with terrible interior line play, which looks like it did against Bama last year. And I'll bring it up again. Robbie Caldwell, what are we seeing out of coaching up these offensive linemen? It's one thing, usually we trust Dabo. It's one thing for Dabo to say, this is going to be, this looks like the best offensive line I've ever had in Clemson. Well, from what I've seen so far this year, that's an insult to former offensive linemen under Dabo at Clemson because I haven't seen it, and there's a lot of other position groups too. Where yeah, we got all the talent in the world, but are we seeing them being coached up and becoming better? Didn't see it on the offensive line on Saturday night.
0: No, and what's surprising is it's not like there's subpar talent there. There's there's Pollard who moved there from tackle. He's been a two-year starter, and Kate Stewart gets to start over him, and that's that's a little bit worrisome, or at least it's it's peculiar. Um, John Simpson playing opposite. Pollard or Kate Stewart at left guard is been, you, t- you know, touted as the best or the most talented uh, of, the, of all the starters in terms of raw ability. So that, that goes directly to coaching.
1: And then Justin Falsinelli had a, he was leading guys, laying guys right and left.
0: Yeah, I mean, and give A and M a little bit of credit, and that's part of this. A similar defense, uh, Elko runs a similar defense to Venables. It's about shooting your gap, so they're going to see some success. So us not trying to continually move it up the A or B gap with Etienne, that's fine. You still got to give him the ball. Uh, you can call it creative ways, whether that's a, a a check down or let him go to the flats in, in a situation like that where he can he can get some open field and and do let his legs do the work, but. I don't blame him for not, you know, running a gap, B gap, but screen passes are a little bit, it's becoming redundant. We talked about this, uh, you know, in a recap episode, uh, they know it's coming, the formation and they know they see. It's coming. Brian's not particularly good with that. He does not get the play ball fast enough. Yeah. Slow release rain guys are falling like, and then, okay. The one thing that still irks me is, as you said, they seem to have a similar game plan when Brian's in there and when Trevor Lawrence is in there, but it, I, I don't think that would be the right play. They have different skill sets. One's not apt to run. The other is more prone to run. And one, one has a lot lot of great ability with his arm.
1: Well, and if our, but, but if our offensive line is going to play like that, then we need KB in there to win. Um, because of what he could do with his legs. And that's where Deshaun Watson was, I think, as a total package ahead of Trevor Lawrence. He could do it with his arms and his legs. We haven't seen that out of Trevor Lawrence not yet. Now, they say the guy can run, and we may see that over time. Part of it is he struggles picking up blitzes. Once he's able to do that, maybe he can leave the, par- the you know feel the pressure earlier, get out of the pocket, um, and, and scramble a little bit with his, with his legs. But as it is right now, if guys are going to be coming after him, uh, and he's not able to roll out the pocket on the run and get a ball off. Then you got to
0: roll with Kelly Bryant because he's the guy that can do that. And that's sad because it's not like it's not like it's it's a uh, he's deficient at anything really. It's just that the offensive line is so bad. That's more of an indictment on the offensive line than it is in the coaching. Any type of limitation on Trevor Lawrence's part. Um, and I, I, honestly, I think they can they can fix that to. I we can get to a level that's like enough where you can still let Trevor Lawrence unleash his his gifts. Well, and, 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 he, and he still can run. He can at least he can roll out in the pocket. And right. I think his, his picking up blitzes will get better the more Absolutely. reps he gets. So. Absolutely,
1: and throwing on the run is one of his strong suits as well. I mean, that ball he got out there to Hunter Renfro that was just shy of a of a first down. I guess that was the third quarter. Um, You it was still a great throw um, out there on the run. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to progress. This is only his second collegiate game, and that's why I mentioned it over and over. Let's see what Trevor – we haven't seen him in a game yet. Let's see him on the field. I don't care what he did at – where do you go? Lawrenceville High School. Um, It's a
0: completely different situation. Cartersville, but they call it Lawrenceville now. It's the home of Trevor Lawrence, yes.
1: (laughs) Cartersville, Lardersville, whatever. Um, Cartersville High School. uh, Pardon to all the Cartersville alum – um, but those guys out there playing defense for Texas A&M
0: were nothing like he's seen before. Well, sure, but, you know, uh, Bryant didn't get any, you know, taste of A&M at, at Ren, you know, so. No, but he's in his fourth
1: year, fifth year on the team.
0: Yeah, I guess my thought would just be he's going to, he has the football IQ and. And he has a calm demeanor. The and I'm not boys, saying Poise. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say
1: Poise. I'm, I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence doesn't.
0: Um, it but, was worth getting him in that game yeah. and, and having a, a couple 300 pound dudes coming at you and, and just to just see that because yeah, yeah. it's hard to simulate that in practice. Um, hey, T. Higgins is good. You want to talk about something, a bright spot? Well,
1: yeah, let's talk about perimeter blocking. I think he's the best perimeter blocker. And that's sad because the the, the tight end blocking is horrendous. If Garrett Williams is not in there, Mylon Richards is. is it's just bad and that's part of the reason why you didn't see Brayden Galloway um get in that game. I don't I don't think he had any snaps um, in the game yesterday, but man, it really hurts to have him have had him out of the game uh, with a with a sprained knee. So again, you know, part of it's play calling, part of it maybe limited ability, Kelly Bryant not with a quick release, Trevor Lawrence still learning how to pick up defenses, but a big part of it's blocking. If you don't give Guys, uh, you know, if you don't give guys back their time to get the ball out or then when you do get something out on the perimeter and your
0: tight ends aren't blocking like they're supposed to, um, yeah, things aren't going to look great. Alabama does it so well. Georgia does it so well. Tight end blocking. I mean, I know it's pro style and we do spread, but I think getting Garrett Williams back, keep in mind we haven't had him since 16 now because he was out all of last year. It could be a, a huge shot in the arm midseason. It could be the one thing you're like, wow, the offense got really good around that time. He could have that type of impact because Etienne especially is the guy, or you, let's say Bryant and Etienne in some type of zone read um, to the to a strong side where there's some tight end blocking um, and, and a good lead blocker, whomever that, that may be. I'm not sure who that will be yet, but it, it could be a dangerous part of our offense. And I would say, the one redeeming thing about the offensive line is John Simpson is talented. It's his first year starting, and then opposite him, Pollard has been there before. He's also physically talented. I think he'll pick it up, and it will improve. I just can't see it. It's not like you're stuck with a bunch of duds that are just no-talent hacks. No, but
1: when you're having as, as much trouble on the interior line letting guys get by you, and part of Elko's defensive plan is to to, to shut you down on the perimeter, where do you go? And let's not let the running backs off the hook either, um, because they more
0: accidentally run into guys than they actually do block. Yeah, it wasn't too pretty from that standpoint either. Um, a lot of the, I mean, those are like, God, I hate this. Like, there's coaching moments, teaching moments, a lot that they can draw from this. But I still, I, I can't, what doesn't compute to me is in 16 and 15, our offensive line had a. Uh, We'll say a low, but still a significant measure of success against Bama's defense, uh, with just as much talent and more talent than A and um, wh- Quite a lot more. It's it wasn't perfect. We couldn't run up the A or B gap, but it was sufficient to give Bryant or to give uh, Deshaun Watson time. It was sufficient to to get some yards late in the game. We were, we were actually getting some push. And it's more or less the same set of guys across the line. I mean, I shouldn't say it's the same set, well, no. but they're not, they have no less talent than those guys. They, those guys were three-star guys. We have a line more or less full of four-star players. Well, not to mention,
1: these were the questions we had all offseason that they said they were working on. Have we seen improvement? Have we seen better uh, blocking from the tight ends and running backs? Have we seen better interior blocking? Can we run it up the A or B gap? Yeah. Uh, is the play calling in any way creative, more creative? Does it allow these guys to do other things? Do they show any new wrinkles? Stop hiding stuff in the playbook, go out there and win football games like you should. Um, I just, again, I, it comes down to coaching. Am I, if they're telling us the talents there, if they're telling us this is going to be the best offensive line in the Debo Sweeney era granted a long season left, but that's what they're telling us. We're not seeing it.
0: No, we're not. And it, it I said it on uh, the last step. Just take some shots. Uh, get let let Kelly be aggressive. Say, listen, you're going to throw an interception. It's fine. Let it loose. And I know it's I know it sounds. I mean, I know it's it's it sounds kind of stupid on the surface, but like he's got to feel like, hey, I can I can I can let this happen because the alternative is us going through and out punting. Uh, well, and it, we're just behind the chains the whole time. Kelly Bryant's not
1: going to be a great third and eight quarterback, if especially if you're not going to let him throw the ball. Um, but yeah, it's it's just frustrating because it's it's just so redundant what we see out of this offense. And I think part of it, I think part of it is a little frustration, a little hangover going back to Deshaun Watson's last year because they were more conservative with the play calling, knowing that they had a Deshaun Watson back there when it came to crunch time of game, and you want to preserve his health throughout the year, especially with his history of injury. So we've got that fresh on our minds, and then next last year, Kelly Bryant. Is it, it is, is it his limitations? Is it we're holding back the playbook? Who knows? Um, but we're seeing it again this year, so that's the frustrating part of it.
0: You have enough weak teams on the schedule to figure it out and to be aggressive, so... Let's don't create the same bad habits that I think we created last year. That would be my only recommendation, and I'm sure the coaches are are, are going to take everything I say
1: and, I know, and yeah, apply well, it. Well, and, and everybody will say, be like, "Oh yeah, blah blah blah." Well, how about going to the playoffs three years in a row? Well, that's great. Like, really excited and, and love that, and not going to say any of our coaches should be fired for doing that. But um, and you give them the benefit of the doubt. Dabo right now is one and two against Alabama the past three years. Let's see if we can go two and two against them this year. But if we start getting there and going one and three and, and one and four, and one and five, we've got all the talent in the world. It's about the development of that talent. Granted, Dabo does it different than Nick Saban. Love him for it. Really glad he does it different than Nick Saban or Jimbo Fisher or Urban Meyer or Jim Harbaugh or any of those guys. Um, but it doesn't mean we can't point these things out, ask the questions, and, and try to figure out where we need areas, uh, in, what areas we need
0: uh, improvement in. I agree. I think it's fair to criticize. It's it's stylistically, it's you could say it's fair, sure. And like, I don't know. At some point, like I get risk aversion on offense, but when it's when it's hurting you, and yeah, we've been in the playoff, but Christian Wilkins and all these guys didn't come back to make it to the playoff. They came back to win a championship. So like, play like you're an offense that's trying to win a. championship
1: yeah when it comes down to the last two drives of the game just don't roll over and give it up and let them you know you're not doing your defense any favors i mean again if the offense can't stand on the the field and the time of possession was horrible i think they had 10 more minutes time of possession we only ran like 59 plays on offense which is atrocious that means your defense was out there on the field a lot more i know we're running guys in and out and you saw it late in the game uh, certain guys were in that you would not maybe have expected, uh, but it's wearing them down, especially on a hot muggy night. Now it's not going to be hot and muggy in uh, Santa Clara um, in, in January or wherever the, the playoff games are before that. But you know, still.
0: So one thing we do have, and this this isn't hyperbole, I, I don't think. I don't, and maybe I I'm, maybe I'm a little bit of a Clemson homer here, but I think we have the best wide receiver in the nation now, and he's not. Sammy Watkins receiver, he's like new Hopkins in a bigger body. T Higgins, he's T Higgins. That's an important consideration to not yeah. be aggressive with a guy like that. People might look back at this team if we if we do go, you know, say bottom up or whatever, fall flat on our heads in a playoff game because our offense gets stifled and we don't look very aggressive. It's like, wait a minute, you had a team with T Higgins and all those guys on the defensive line, and you. You couldn't generate points. Well, and it,
1: not just T. Higgins. T. Higgins, Amari Rogers, Hunter Renfroe, and Travis Etienne. You can't generate points.
0: And, and Trevor Lawrence will be in that mix too. Exactly. he will say freshman we're, we're Trevor as well as Lawrence. Kelly but Kelly Bryant's
1: playing. I mean, yeah. and if it's if it comes down to the guys can't block, might need to look at your coaching. Let's move on to the defense. So, I think a lot of this is lost, or this has kind of gotten lost in all of it. Uh, going back and looking at the game, the defense was actually struggling early on, too, very much the same way they were struggling in the second half. There was, you know, late into the first quarter and all of the second quarter, A&M was having trouble moving the ball. Um, but then they started going away from the run, um, and Kellen, Kellen, Kellen Mon just. Went off and I mean the defensive line played fantastic, but I thought the game plan was actually pretty good too because you saw a lot of times that they would let the the, the linemen and the linebackers kind of get up field on them and then dump it off right in kind of that no man's land uh, Between the the second and third levels of the defense and that proved to be very successful um so a lot of frustrating things out of this defense. You guys really didn't talk about the the, the safety play too much, and, and I've seen in places pe- people saying the corners didn't play that bad, but I saw a lot of busts by the corners too.
0: Well, it starts with what I what I recall, the safeties. It, it's so hard for a corner to cover a guy that long uh, in, in, terms, in terms of like just the duration as Kellamond's getting out of the pocket and he's extending plays. Like It's really hard for a corner. I don't think the corners played too poorly. I think... Is a little bit of safety play, um, guys, just not being aggressive, like, like just being able to having the red sea to throw it through in our zone, and so that's part of it. The other part, this is a a part we can't fix. This is just who we are. It's a little bit of linebacker speed was exposed, and it's not because, look, we have good linebackers with good speed, but sometimes you need great speed to play a team that's at, playing at that level, like Mon was, and with some of his playmakers. Um, when you, when they spread you out and you can dump the ball in the flats or, you know, whatever your, your check down is, like you said, they were, guys were getting upfield as we always do. They were ready for it and linebacker speed. It's good. Not great. not Not much we can do about that. And see, that's where
1: it would be super beneficial to have a guy like Shaq Smith up speed. And he was in there later in the game, but he does have some speed from that linebacker position that maybe Kendall Joseph doesn't have. Trey Lamar doesn't have, um, you know, Isaiah Simmons had a bunch of busts in this game. And, again, the footing was bad. Guys were kind of slipping and falling. You can't really blame them too much for that. But, you know, continue. You know, we'll we'll see. I'm I'm really hopeful that Isaiah Simmons really comes along as the year goes on. I mean, you can't question his talent and athletic ability, and that's going to pay dividends in and of itself. But when you start playing these more elite teams and elite, elite offenses, and maybe we – I'm not going to call Texas A&M an elite offense – uh quite yet but they look pretty dang good and at the
0: very least they have a pretty dang good quarterback um and they, they have a good offensive line too that, yeah. i mean and i don't say that they it didn't give us that much trouble but no. throughout the course of the season don't be surprised if this this team wins and, double digits you know there were some issues with finishing off
1: the plays by the defensive lineman when they did get in there and there was just some fluky tips and stuff like that The catches that you know You'd hope in a game go your way 50-50. They skewed a little bit, probably 80-20 in that game for texas a and i A&M. I'm not saying they're getting lucky because some of those catches, the one that Kevon Wallace almost intercepted, um, in the end zone, that was a great catch. I think that was by Rodgers. And the other one that Rodgers had in the end zone was great concentration to go up and get that ball in um, some tight coverage. So, you, again, you got to give a tip of hat, uh, the hat to the Texas AM offense and Jimbo Fisher and his play calling. But there, there's still left a lot to be desired out there on the, the Clemson defensive side of the ball. What I'm wondering is, you know, speaking of the safeties, um, At what point, and you did not see Kyler McMichael or Mario Mario Goodrich play in this game, at what point did they start considering maybe uh, moving Goodrich back to safety, knowing that you have a real lack of depth there, especially if you can't move Isaiah Simmons out of the Sam Nickel position to help out. You're really running with Kevon Wallace and uh, Tanner Muse. and I think we know what we're going to get out of Denzel Johnson, at least early on in the season. There really needs to be some support there for those guys.
0: You know, what stinks about our schedule and really college football as a whole, like we don't have a top 10 game. Maybe AM stinks into a top 10. We find out they're their top 10 team. Uh, who knows? We have, we saw Furman running much of like the triple option or some type of option attack. Georgia Southern, if we play them, they're coming with a bit of an option. Uh, Georgia Tech, we don't have a whole, even early on, we're not going to ha- be able to test these guys in the secondary the way we want to test them. Mon might be the biggest test they've seen all season, and maybe until they get to a potential postseason, which is unfortunate because they they've got to learn. And it, you could talk about like you're talking about Goodridge over the the safety. Maybe right. he goes for bodies, but at this point, it's not a thing of talent, uh, really. It's it's a thing of instincts of understanding the system, being in position. Like Isaiah Simmons was his athletic, like he's off the charts athletically, but was a little bit over aggressive. Taking bad angles in pursuit,
1: and and all the guys' eyes back there in the, in the the second, third levels of the defense. I mean, they mentioned as much. They were they were getting caught off guard. They're looking in the wrong places, not trusting their instincts. So again, a very complicated offensive scheme that Jimbo Fisher brings. Uh, one that you know we may not see again this year until we get into a playoff situation, start playing some uh, uh, better, more complex teams. But um, you know, at least. In these learning moments, and in these situations where we're exposed, we're still winning the football game. You can't complain about that. Um, but at the same time, there have been expectations set for this team in this defense, and you know it's it's okay to, ex- to to at least expect
0: this team, in some capacity, to live up to it. Well, I really think when Mon goes up against Alabama, it will vindicate Clemson to some degree. People will realize, oh, this he didn't just have a good te- a good game against a. A overrated Clemson defense, he's a good player. Do you know if that game's at, at Kyle Field or? It's, a, it's in uh,
1: Tuscaloosa. It's in Tuscaloosa. So what I will say about this, why it may be hard to compare um, apples to apples, especially if Alabama goes in there and blows them out, um, or at least wins by a convincing margin, is at that point in the season Alabama is going to have, what, four games of tape on them?
0: Well, and technically they'll have one, just one game of tape because they didn't put too much on film against Northwestern. I don't know who they play next week. Well, it's not like they held they held much
1: back against Clemson. No, so no, they yeah, that's they, one valuable. They goal, showed their game hand. Tape. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, the, well, the things that Mon was doing, if he can replicate that against Bama, like good luck game planning for it because you can't.
1: Well, I mean, overall, still, I mean, the defensive line did play incredible. They got a huge push all game. They had they had Mon on the run. They had him scrambling. They were. Got some hands on his uh, uh, on him when he was in a passing motion um, a, a few different times, and you know to his credit he was able to to shake him and, and pull
0: off the throw. So they also got to him, and they got to other players in the backfield yeah. a good bit. They were and like you said, they they performed well. Their offense was moving a good bit in the first half more than we were accustomed to, but those were being erased because Cleveland Farrell and Austin Bryant. Uh, coming off the edge, I mean, they're just... Yeah, I mean, they're
1: the X factor, right? I mean, they, they can help neutralize, um, and they do help neutralize a lot of weaknesses you may have in your team, especially, I mean, we're going to see it play out throughout the year. Another reason we're not going to know how good our secondary is is because our defensive lines will be on top of quarterbacks so often, and they're not going to have a lot of time to throw. So, it... It's more of an area con, of a concern than I think I even thought it was going into the season. And looking ahead, again, the things you mentioned, playing, you know, Furman was, was was an option team. Georgia Southern's an option team. Georgia Tech is an option team. All these inferior teams are option teams. Um, and what quarterbacks do we play left on the
0: schedule that are really going to light it up? Um, well, And there's only a handful in college DeAndre football. Francois at, at Florida State. But yeah, it's, it's not only a quarterback, it's got to be an offensive line and a quarterback that's not just good, right. but really good and can move with yeah. his legs. And there's only one, and he's in Tuscaloosa, let's be honest. And and that's the funny th- thing about it is, uh, Well, Dwayne, I haven't watched Haskins, by the way, at High State, so before
1: I make that comment. Well, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Haskins. Um, the question is, can we do what we do now and beat Bama? Absolutely not. We have to get better, especially... Since Tua has a, it has much more capability to pick a team apart in the secondary, you know it's going to be harder, as good as our defensive line is, to get a push on Alabama's offensive line. So so Tua is much more capable of that than Jalen Hurts was last year. So to me, it looks like we picked up where we left off, where it looks like Alabama is a step up from where they were last year, and again, they just won the national championship. We don't have to beat them now, which is the good thing, but we have to beat them eventually. We talked about it. This is a good Team this is a great Clemson team on paper. We're not playing on paper anymore. This is the season they need to get it turned around. I really think, yeah, Dabo
0: kickstarted. I'll say probably that. wouldn't like hearing a bunch of you know nobodies on a on a podcast telling him, telling him how to do football. But I think he knows what we're saying right now to be true, and I think he knows we can't just kind of we can't just go half assed through the season. He realizes that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and we know he's not listening to us anyway. So <laughs> we're a fan podcast, and this is what we're going to do. Um, again, it's it should be okay to criticize this team where criticism is due. Now, we're not going to criticize like indig- individual players and their characters and stuff like that. These are kids. But, you know, we're watching this game. We're digesting it. And we're comparing what we see and how Clemson is playing to what the other great teams of college football are doing. Um, And so I think that's where the critique comes in, and by no means, by no stretch of the imagination are we saying it's doom and gloom, they're they're not going to live up to the expectations that we had this year, a lot of guys in this team are going to get a lot better, a lot of them are young, a lot of them don't have a lot of experience, but they have a ton of talent, we've got coaches on this team, have gone to national championships, won a national championship, so... It is it's not the end of the world. It's a long season. We're two games in and we're 2-0. and That's where you start.
0: The reason I see this differently than I think most Clemson fans is because I'm not looking at the numbers sitting next to, to our name uh, or Texas A&M's name, which currently there's, I don't believe they're ranked. Maybe they are this week. But if you look back at the Notre Dame game, I think they, I can't remember the preseason rankings, two top 15 teams. It was the same damn game, except we took. It was Notre Dame. It was the big brand. They had a great ranking. Don't like. I I really think A and M is a top fifteen team and with potential to be a top ten team. And if they have a, we'll say a eight by their name, then all of a sudden we're like, wow, what a good win. We held on. That felt, you know. Felt like we pulled it out again, but because we thought they weren't going to be so hot, it completely shifts the way we look at this. So,
1: and I know it's hard to move up a team into the polls after losing a game, but I look at Michigan State who's sitting there at number 25 and number 24 in the AP and coaches poll respectively um, after them losing over the weekend and not looking good in their first season, uh, first game of the year. Uh, against what should have been an overmatched opponent, how are they still in there, Texas? And certainly. certainly, are you looking at the coaches poll? I'm looking at both polls right yeah, now. That's, I don't look at the coaches poll. Well, they're side by that's, side that's on ESPN. I don't have uh, any choice. Um, so, but I mean, a And M's right up there. They're they're two. They're two places out. The 27th in the AP and the 26th in the coaches poll. So they're right there. But I expect that they're going to continue to move up higher as the season goes along. I think so. I think w- within. You're right. You you said it. This this win is going to age well. We know that. We at least anticipate that with a high degree of confidence.
0: Yeah, like what, what you saw, if you think that was the 30th best team in the nation, it makes you feel bad. But if you think it's the 10th best team in the nation, you're like, oh, okay, well, it makes sense. On the road, hostile environment and, and poor weather conditions. Yeah, you take it. Just just wait. Let this play out. Mons gonna be good. He's positioned for a Heisman run at this point.
1: Yes, he is. Um well, and at the end of the day, we still have that number two next to our name. We still have the goose egg in the, in the, in the loss column. So um, it was a win. And a win is a win. You know, if we played a national championship game and looked like that, we'd be happy with a national championship, right? I mean, you're going to take that win. Now, all wins are not created equal, but you got to take it one game at a time. And so far, Clemson's 2-0. and um, They've got a lot of work left to do. A lot of improvement in a lot of areas. Uh, A lot of things have been exposed. Sam made a good point. At least it got exposed early in the season. Um, But to your point, do we play the teams? uh, Are the teams on the rest of our schedule capable of letting us know what we really have? A few of them in certain instances, Boston College, NC State, Florida State. um, Possibly they get better as the season goes along. But it's tough. That's part of the reason why it sucks when the ACC is down. Because it'd be nice to play some more top tier teams in your regular season to get you built ready for a playoff run all right so that's all we got to say for the game again thrilling victory if nothing else for the clemson tigers and kudos to all the texas a&m fans and again how hospitable they were and really what a great environment they made for a visiting a college football game i was actually interviewed in uh, uh, the local paper while i was there and one of my comments to them was come from the west coast try to pick an away game to go to every year and when you pick an away game to travel to you want it to be one of the best environments in college football and not necessarily expect it was going to be as good as it was but it certainly was out of the uh, texas a and crowd and even better that we left with a victory so cody uh, before we wrap this show up any thoughts about anything else you saw uh, over the weekend in college football
0: Well, not not anything that really stood out to me, uh, Georgia, the Georgia South Carolina game was, I thought they would prove that they're really good again. Uh, talking about Georgia, I don't really take this as a, as a bad or a negative for South Carolina, but I don't think they're, they're not the sleeper team that was going to like make a run in the top 15. Uh, South Carolina just wasn't going to be that good. They're not talented throughout and Georgia's right back in the, in the playoff hunt again.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I think it was close at first, but they really pulled away in that game. So, you know, Georgia, legitimate contender uh, this year. Uh, Notre Dame, again, I think, you know, for me, my takeaway from that game, barely beating Ball State, I think they're completely overrated um, sitting there at number eight. At least they didn't move up in the polls, but there wasn't really a lot of room for movement there with nobody really above them. uh, Nobody at all above them losing, I guess, but. Um, Yeah, it was kind of pretty much a down weekend in college football. Penn State bounced back. Um, A lot of questions still. Michigan wins. I don't know what you take out of that. played Central Michigan, so I know they're your your favorite to root for there. Hoping Harbaugh uh, makes an impact in the playoff race, but uh, not really a lot. I think we're going to learn a lot more this weekend. You got LSU-Auburn. That ought to be a really great football game. And you got Alabama, Old Miss. Alabama goes on the road there. Um, TCU and Ohio State and uh, and Jerry World in Arlington, Texas. That ought to be a pretty good game right there. Um, so we're going to start to get a a sense of what these other teams are made of um, at the top of
0: the, at the top of the polls. Yeah, I would like to see some uh, some warts exposed on some other top you know high profile teams. It seems like we're the only team that's in legitimate in the top we'll like say four of college football right now that has these little and, and granted a is not some of the teams that they were playing, but they're just taking care of business. It's like, it's, it's clockwork. We, that's not our style.
1: No. And I, you know what? I think Clemson had every, they could have very well picked apart Louisville, just like Alabama did. Um, Louisville's not, not going to be a great football team this year, as is a lot of the other ACC teams. I mean, you saw Pitt, get annihilated by Penn State after beating them just a couple years ago. So, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. You know, Oklahoma plays Iowa State. Iowa State had a decent year last year, so we just want to see these other teams start to play some uh, conference, in-conference competition, better competition, to see what they have. Um, We've got a little exposure to to, to what we're going to get at Clemson. So, again, you start comparing yourself to these other teams, and we're about to start seeing that. All right, so that wraps it up for the show. We'll be back with you next week after the Georgia Georgia Southern game, should that actually take place. Again, everybody in the in the Florence's path there, please stay safe. There are things more important than college football. Uh, very few things, but but that's one of them. I'm um, get some shout-outs here. Facebook, we had a ton of people interact with us on Facebook and um, in, in SoundCloud after the game. Uh, Facebook, Ryan Kirkpatrick. Courtney Martin, Tanner Joy, John Pollock, Chris Plessy, Chris Nozikoff, Zachary Moore. Appreciate all you uh, guys and gals reaching out to us. SoundCloud, we had Daniel Weber, Matthew Miller, uh, George Colcun on Twitter. George, I apologize. I was going to try to to ping you when I was heading to the airport for the game in San Francisco, but I was running a little bit behind schedule. Um, And then one other shout-out. I was in... A brewery in Austin. Guy comes, sits down. The way starts talking about Clemson football, he finds out from says San Francisco. He's like, "Wait, you one of the podcast guys?" First time in three years that has ever happened to me um, or any of us, really. So that was pretty cool. Stafford Carter uh, hung out with him uh, that night in Austin. It was a blast. Um, and I will say this, folks: scooters. That's all I have to say. They're awesome. They're a great way to get around the city. Um, The problem with them are is that you got the one extreme side people who are afraid of progress and change and the other extreme side that people don't know what to do with that project progress and
0: and change and it ruins it for everybody else so. Dude, I was the one that was like waving my my fist at these scooter people because they're like just flying around, endangering exactly. dogs and kids. But now I, I I rode one in San Diego with you guys for a, like a week ago or so, and man, it was so fun. I'm like, screw the kids, screw the dogs, get them out of my way. Let's ride <laughs> well, some scooters. And
1: I rode them all over Austin, Texas, and it was a blast, man. The thing is, if you're gonna ride them, people. Be courteous. Don't ride on sidewalks. Don't leave them strewn all over, laying on sidewalks. Let's help this become a positive thing for uh, uh, for our society. They're a lot of fun. And people who are afraid of them, it's okay. They're just they're just freaking scooters, all right? So, again, that's all the time we have today. Please uh, reach out to us, clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. We're at Clemson Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Same thing on SoundCloud. Please, if you have some time, go uh, write us an iTunes review. We really appreciate that. And if you don't already follow us on all your podcasting, any one of your uh, favorite podcasting apps, such as Stitcher or what else we have, Cody's edit? it. I don't know what the other ones are. iTunes is a big one I've heard. Uh, iTunes and Stitcher there, um, and Podbean, if that's a real thing, we're not sure yet. So that's all we got. Until next time, go Tigers.
0: Yeah, Dabo or kickstarted. I'll he say he probably that. wouldn't like hearing a bunch of you know nobodies on a on a podcast telling him, telling him how to do football. But I think he knows what we're saying right now to be true, and I think he knows we can't just kind of go limp through the season. You can't
1: say that. <laughs>